Have you ever felt like there isn't enough time in the day or like you don't have time to take care of your well-being and build your dream? Or maybe you felt like it's impossible for you to go to work and still build that business that you envision at the same time. Well, so have we. And this is why we decided to make this podcast. This podcast is not just for PTs, OTs, MDs, or RNs. It's for everyone in healthcare. Our mission is to inspire you to make healthcare a better place and to build your business or brand through stories and real-life examples of some of the top leaders and entrepreneurs in healthcare. There's no better time than now. Welcome to Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast. As always, guys, I'm your co-host, Mr. Carborn Jr., and I'm joined by my main man, Mr. Paulo Ching. Paul, say what's up to the people. What's up, y'all? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. You know, sunny. It's nice. COVID's still here, but don't act like y'all forgot. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I'm, I'm glad to be here. All right, all right. So, as always, we have a special guest for you guys. Man, this episode is going to be a powerful one. I'm looking forward to this for sure, for sure, for sure. So without further ado, guys, I want to introduce to you a speaker, an author, an entrepreneur, Mr. Paul Bashay williams Paul, talk to us. How you doing? What's going on, man? I appreciate y'all having me on. Um, I'm doing good today, man. I mean, good mood, good spirits. Like you said, COVID is still real. Uh, what's happening to our community is still real, real, but I'm in a good mood today. It's my self-care Monday, so I'm chilling. Mm. Got to get that self-care in. That's important. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Major key. So we always like to be respectful of our guest time. So the first thing we like to ask off bat is why? Why did you choose to go into counseling? Why did you choose to, to be a therapist as opposed to another dimension of healthcare? Well, to be honest with you, uh, I started out by going to school for physical therapy um, and I was given the wrong information. Somebody told me I had to go to pre-physical therapy school. I had to do all this stuff before I even get into the field. And when I heard that, I was like, absolutely not. I'm not going to school before I go to school. So I was like, no, nah, I'm good on that. Uh, and then I looked into business. I knew I wanted to have my own business and I looked into um, law as well. And so I was working my freshman year summer. I was working with my mentor and he, had a, he was running a therapeutic camp. And so by the beginning of the camp, I was an admin. So I was just doing all the notes and stuff like that. By the end of the camp, I was a counselor. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is what I wanted to do. And then my first class I chose when I went back to school, my sophomore year was a marriage class. So I was like, hmm, I love everything about relationships. And then it started to make sense. All my friends have always come to me with their issues growing up. I've always been the one to kind of help out, to help guide people, whether I'm just connecting them with other things or whether I'm just listening intently to what's going on with them. Even family members came to me to kind of like throw stuff at me to see if, you know, I can help them. So it started to just like my purpose just started to make sense for me. And then from that point on, it was just nonstop. And the whole therapist part is essentially for my mentor. He was a, he was a social worker in our neighborhood. We lived in the hood. He was a social worker, white, gay, redheaded man that, that came into our neighborhood. And he pointed me out. He said, I shouldn't be here. You should. I shouldn't be leading these groups. And I didn't understand it at, you know, 11 and 12 years old. I was just like, oh, I'm sitting in the back, you know, shy. I don't want to talk to nobody. But he kept pulling me up front and say, hey, talk about this. Hey, won't you help co-facilitate? And it was another guy he helped. He told us to do that, too. So we just formed a relationship. He encouraged me secretly. He said he was, you know, telling me, this is what you should do. This is what you should do. This is how you're going to impact your community. This is how your presence is much more needed and your face is relatable to the people that I'm talking to. So that's how, that's how I got into the field of social work and then into the field of just being a, a psychotherapist. So I had to ask you this question because you said something that I think is, is very important. When you, when you talk about having your own business and you talk about being an entrepreneur, 
I think something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is, is their messaging. I think that a big part of that is, is not knowing how to communicate, even in terms of communicating through actively listening. Now, you said that, you know, for you, kind of had it to where you were able to help guide, you know, and connect people because you listened. You know, they always came to you with, your pro- with their problems because you were a good listener. So for entrepreneurs that have issues with that, because I think sometimes we, we hear and we're so focused on thinking about, okay, how am I going to respond that we miss so much critical information in our messaging with like our patients and our clients. So what tips would you give entrepreneurs in terms of being able to apply better active listening skills to make sure that they're taking care of their, their patients and their clients efficiently? One of the things that I, I practice is, is brain spotting and brain spotting is, is what it's a, it's a therapeutic uh, treatment modality without form. So a lot of times people um, like other therapists, they go in with this plan to help the client and the client is coming with these issues, but you already have a plan before they even finish what they have to say. So we're looking to solve the problem, but what problem are we solving if we're not listening? So if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to start something, you know, our goal is to, to create the solution that we don't, you know, that a lot of people don't have. But I can't create and be effective if I'm not sitting back and really listening what the person in front of me has to say. And it's applied through all types of relationships. So if I hear something specifically and I address that thing specifically, I become something that's valuable to them, you know, to the client, to the patient. And I think we really need to do is, you know, we get so excited. It's like, I want to start this business. You know, I want to be, I want to make this amount of money. I want to do this and do that. And we set our goals on that particular target. But sometimes we miss things along the way. And then sometimes we feel unfulfilled when we get to that, you know, that level that we're at because we miss things along, along the way. We miss opportunities for, for growth, expansion, not just financially, but like personally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, all those different things sometimes we miss because we're chasing a specific number. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about even the listening. I think what's become more prevalent, and I think a lot of our listeners too kind of deal with this, as we, you know what, do you mind if I dig deep? No, go ahead. You know, let's dig deep. You know what, we're digging deep. So let's do it like this. I think um, on so many fronts as entrepreneurs and as aspiring business owners, as business owners, whatever, we, we tend to pre-plan our goals, business plan, right? Obviously, you, you go to the bank for a loan, if you got to do that. But they're like, we want to see what you're going to do over the next set of years. You're looking to get people, traffic people into your practice. Like, you, you have to have a set of, set of plans. But at what point do you think we should, or what point in the entrepreneurial journey do you think a lot of business owners should just take that moment and like take stock of like, yo, before I even do all this, I need to like kind of put my ear to the street and figure out how to even create that plan. So I think that's constantly happening. Of course, when you got the idea, you write down with the idea, your vision and your mission and how you want to get there. So you write down your steps and what you need to do to get to the point that you want to, what you want to be. So where is my listening start? Where am I connecting my ears to the street? It's consistently happening. So I'm paying attention to, you know, I'm finding a mentor. I'm listening to that mentor. I'm finding more than one mentor. People think that they need to get one mentor and that word is golden because they're successful. If you connect with multiple people, like I have like five different mentors and some of them not even in the same business that I am. I'm just absorbing what they're doing. I'm absorbing what they're saying and I'm trying to build myself up so I can be a better entrepreneur, a better person, you know, even before the entrepreneur, like I'm just a better person. So I connect and I'm able to, to hear the things I need to hear. Like I don't have this ego where now nah, I'm successful that I can't hear from somebody else. There's people who would say they're just starting who have more information than me. So why would I shun them and say, I can't hear from you because I'm making more money than you. There's so much value in just, just talking and listening and, and creating relationships, developing partnerships. It's so important, like I said, continuously, continuously listening and learning. Man, I, I don't want to make the transition too quick. Just to kind of give a, a little light too for, for the people in school currently listening to this, going for counseling, going for psychotherapy, right? 
What, what are you saying to them to give them a head start or even like help them avoid getting in front of getting in their own way on this journey to like becoming a business owner? Because I think apart from physical therapy, I think a lot of healthcare professions tend to push people into, onto the entrepreneurial route. So for the ones that are listening and they just need to hear like, what do I need to do now before I get in my own way to make sure I get there? I grab the mentors. How, what do they need to look for in a mentor? What do they need to be reading or even just in taking in to put themselves to become a better person and a future therapist that actually listens? <laughs> I think one of the things that, that helped me is being in therapy myself. So while I was in school, you know, I was in therapy myself because I wanted to understand both sides of the coin. I wanted to be able to address my issues because a lot of times when we're sitting in front of clients, some of our stuff, we're triggered. There's, there's transparency, there's counter-transparency. So if you're in there and you're trying to be a professional at what you do, you're trying to be an entrepreneur, you're trying to be a psychotherapist in private practice or whatever you're trying to do, you have to model it. You have to experience it. Because now I have more empathy and connection with my clients because I know what it feels like to be listened to. I know what it feels like when a therapist is not paying attention to me and they have this already have this agenda of what they, they think it is and it's supposed to listen. I know what that disconnect feels like. So I don't ever want to be that in front of a client. So I think that's the biggest thing that I would say. Get into therapy yourself and understand the process for both sides. And a lot of times school, they don't teach you what, it, what it's like in the, on the business side, right? They just teach you to go in and this is what happens. You work for another agency, like social work. We're just taught certain things and we go on an agency and then we learn something totally different. When we take our exam, like I literally, I had to go take a class because the class, we had test world versus real world. Nothing on that test is something that I would do in real life. So I failed my exam to get my, my clinical license twice because I was applying what I would do in real life or what happened in real life as opposed to what happens in test world. So we get caught up and we're so green coming out of school thinking, oh, it's supposed to happen like this because they said it in my class. This is what the book said that, that, that it was written in 1978. And, you know, it's not real life. So I would say get on both sides of the coin. Talk to someone. You know, if you find a mentor, say, this is what I want to do. What were your experiences? And that's what we need, because a lot of times entrepreneurs, we like to tell our story. What were your experiences? As opposed to saying, teach me this. If I can connect with you on an on a, on a emotional level or a personal level and say, what was your experiences like coming out? What do you know that you know now that you wish you knew then? What would you tell yourself in college? What, you know, all those questions are important that we really have to ask, develop relationships with people. I absolutely love that because funny enough, I had a conversation um, earlier today with one of my friends that is actually already a licensed physical therapist. And I'm talking to him, you know, about school. And I'm like, man, I'm just, I, I don't feel like in school, they really teach you like what you're supposed to do once you leave, you know, like there's, there's a lot of things they don't teach you. They don't teach you the the business aspect of things. They don't teach you how to have those tough conversations. They don't teach you about cultural competency the way they should. And so it's like, you think about getting out of school and when you're finished, and for me, it's like, all right, am I going to be prepared or am I just going to know like how to be a robot and I do this manipulation and I do that or, you know, and, and, and so I love the fact that you said that because I think there's a lot of things that school doesn't equip us for. And so my question for you is, even from like an entrepreneurial standpoint, or from someone who's listening, and they're, they're starting to have those thoughts, you know, like, I think I want to do my own thing out of school, you know, or I think I want to start my own brand. What would be some ways that you would tell them to get started? And also, I want to ask, for you, when you got started, what do you think were like the biggest barriers that you kind of had to overcome? I think it was me, it was, it was fear and uncertainty. So I managed anxiety. So that was one of the parts of that, that really struggled for me, like in the imposter syndrome. So I was always comparing myself to other people who were either at my level or at a higher level or even, you know, before I was. And I was just like, am I, am I doing this right? Like, maybe I shouldn't, the overthinking, 
you know, the perfectionism. And sometimes we just got to get out there and do it. We have to understand our purpose. Of course, you spend your time with yourself and really understand what you want to do, why you want to do it, how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it. But sometimes we just got to do it because we prepare, 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 and then we don't do it. We've been sitting there for a long time and just be like, all right, well, no, I'm going to release now. Oh, I'm going to do this. Well, no, uh, it has to be perfect. Like when I started my YouTube a long time ago, it took me probably like three weeks to record one, one episode of my first episode. And then I got on, I was like, you know what? I'm overthinking. And I even talked about that. Like the transparency is important too. Transparency and vulnerability and being willing to learn and being willing to, to be graceful with yourself because we're so hard on ourselves. So I, I talked about it in my first video. I was like, you know, I had this idea that my first video was going to be like so amazing. Like I was going to have lights and all this type of stuff. And I was like, you know what? I, I'm overthinking. Let me just talk. So if I'm talking about starting a business and if I'm telling somebody before me, again, find their mentors, but do it. You know, plan properly. That's fine. But don't overthink it because you're going to have mistakes along the way. Even if your plan on paper is perfect, you, life still happens. Because we can't control everything outside of us. We can only control what we do and how we respond to things. And so, again, grace with yourself when you have a mess up or a mistake or something doesn't go well. It's just like, all right, let me bounce back. How could I do that differently? Just like with, with, with clients when they, you know, overthink stuff or they have thought attacks or anxiety attacks or whatever it is. I mean, actually, is it real? Reality testing. Okay. If that happens, then what? It's not the end of the world. I can pivot. You know, some of these things are what well, we have our perfect plan and God shows us another way or, you know, another thing pops up. And it's like, well, you know what, this is better. But you have to be open and being willing, again, to transition, to listen, to receive uh, constructive criticism. And sometimes it doesn't feel good, but understand where it's coming from and, and why you need it. See, now I got to ask a follow up question with the but how does how does one open themselves up to that, to even be in that state of mind? You know, I think I remember when I first became a business owner, those first like six, seven months, like you're talking about imposter syndrome, trying to perfect things, trying to make sure whatever. And it, it took a lot of failure and lack of results to just one day be like, well, it's, it's not working perfect. So let, let's try it you know, with its, with its own imperfection. Um, so how does somebody even get or allow themselves, right? You said give themselves grace. How does, some, how does somebody give themselves grace to just be okay with what is? So you celebrate the small wins. Like we're so focused on what the end goal is and that we think down. Just, you know, all those things are small wins, but they, they are steps to get to where you want. So if I'm open to celebrating those things, like, like today I did like a, a the other day I did all my notes in one day. It's like, all right, that's a, that's a win, you know? And, and people talk about that. Other clinicians talk about it, like literally post it on Facebook or social media and say, you know what? I need, I need to go get some ice cream. I, I completed all my notes in one day. So if you're paying attention to those small wins and saying like, all right, it's good. All right. So I, I can transition. I can pivot. Like I said, or, you know, when things do go bad, it's just like, I'm open. Like I need to talk to somebody. I need to, I need to accept feedback. I need to, sometimes I need to slow down and sometimes I need to pay attention to today as opposed to looking what happened, what it looks like in a year. So I want to kind of transition because I know, I know Paul has some questions about this just in general, at least, well, definitely for, for our male listeners, I think this will be a, a good segment for them as well. Dear future wife, talk to us about that. How did, how did that, how did that come into fruition? What was your inspiration behind that? Why that title? So when I was younger, I was always a writer. I used to, I used to tell myself that I was going to be a rapper, um, but I couldn't really rap, but I could write. I used to tell myself I was going to be a singer, but I had no voice for singing, but I can write songs like music and everything. I just loved everything. And then I would hear a beat and I would just write to it. And so um, I also loved everything about relationships. And I knew I wanted to be married one day, but I had this ideation in, in my head that once I go to college, I'm going to meet my, my wife and we're going to get married and then we're going to live happily ever after by the time I graduate, kids, house, all that good stuff. And then I had a relationship that didn't work out. 
Like it was, again, I was fully committed. I was like, this is my wife. And I was operating as a husband, which I thought was a husband, but I had no concept of what a husband is. Right? All I know, what I saw on TV, what I read, some points from my dad, but it wasn't like, I wasn't mature enough to be nobody's husband. So after that relationship failed, I started writing. I was just like, dear future wife, because I wasn't willing to give it to anybody, any serious relationship. And I was like, again, I see how everybody's rocking in college. Like, it's no serious relationship in college. That was, that was my mindset. But that was also my protection, my me mechanism, my defense mechanism, because I didn't want to get hurt again. So I was like, I'm just going to write these things. And I kept a personal journal. And it was like, dear future wife, I'm going to do this, do that. And then I started putting it on, on like Facebook and social media and stuff. And then I wrote a blog. And the blog was Dear Future Wife, but I talked about finances, I talked about business, I talked about it, but everybody loved the Dear Future Wife. And then uh, the person I was dating at the time, she was like, you know what, um, you should turn this into a book. Well, actually, let me take that back. The person at the time saw my journal and said I should make it a blog. My mother saw my blog and said, that's your book right there. And that's when I started writing the book. And... So that's where Dear Future Wife came from. And it, it came from questions that, I, that men ask. It came from my personal experiences. It came from friends' experiences. It came from what I saw on, on, on society, on social media. It was just answering these questions and helping men find a voice, helping men identify the words behind the emotions, how to express themselves when we are typically taught not to or we aren't shown how. So here I am. I said, all right, let me help first clear my my chest my head and it was therapeutic for me it made me bring some men along the way maybe help them just kind of ex who've experienced these things that we don't talk about why do you think we don't talk about it right i think because i'll be honest I have, I have a theory when it comes to therapy that there was a version of me that would have been open to doing therapy but then i was told enough times that especially the you know black men we don't we don't do that you know, we no, 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 just bottle it up. You good, you right? Good. So, why do you think men, especially, and I'm sure you have a ton of men clients, but why is it that men don't like therapy or are not comfortable with going out to just pour out their emotions? Well, just like you said, like growing up, you're told, like, man up, boys don't cry, be tough, like, don't show that emotion. The only emotion you can show is anger and passion and happiness, like, that's it. Anything else, you soft, you weak. And all those things stay with us. And so we walk around with this fake armor going while we're struggling inside. So men say, you know what? I, I don't need nobody to tell me. I can figure it out for myself. Like my father told me I ain't supposed to do that. Society told me I'm not supposed to talk. Society said, you know, just, just provide. That's it. Don't worry about all the other stuff. You can show up by how, many, how much clothes you have, how much money you have with your car. Your car is your answer. That's your identity. And so we walk around with this, this suit on, and, and it's not really us. Like when that suit comes off, we're stuck with our emotions, and we don't know how to express them. So how do you think that then starts to play as men, right? So the, for, the, for our female listeners, y'all about to get the inside scoop. But how, how do you think that plays into, like, the way men carry their relationships, right? Because I think, like, a lot of dudes, man, I know plenty of guys will be like, I got my heart broken when I was 15 and I've been bitter since and I'm not going to get hurt again. Like, how, how does that culture of like manhood, um, quote unquote, for those who are not watching the video, manhood um, then start to affect how we like interact with our loved ones, with our significant others? Well, we're closed off. We're protected. Like I said, you know, that I, I, I have friends. We've had conversations about this. It was like, I'm going to get them before they get me because they've been hurt before or they see somebody get played and they just come up with this concept in their mind and say, I'm going to forever stay protected and ahead of the game. So if a woman, you know, asks me to express myself, number one, I don't know how, because I've been taught not to. Number two, I'm not going to show you that a week. I'm going to protect you and not really understanding that there's emotional and there's mental protection that women need and also that we need. And then we've had experiences, like you said, at 15 when our heart was broken, you know, we never got over it because we didn't talk about it then. We didn't have anybody to talk about it. We go to our boys who are also 15 to 16 year old. They might laugh, man, forget her, get another one. But that carries over. 
like chronologically we're older, but we're still thinking like boys. So because if you have the heartache at 25, your boy was like, man, forget her. Let's go drink. Let's go to the club. Like hook up the PlayStation. Man, we good. We're not, we not, we not dealing with that. And it's the way that men heal, it's it's almost like too late. So and I, I said this in, in one of my YouTube things, and I was talking about how men and women heal differently. Like a woman, when something bad happens to her, like those breakups and stuff, she's calling the girls, they're having a party, they're sitting down, they're crying, they're eating ice cream, they're doing whatever they're doing, they're getting pedicures, whatever they do together, and they're dealing with that emotion. There's, the girls are supportive, like, let it out, girl, go ahead. He wasn't, you know, all that whatever they do. As men, we get out, some, some of us men, we get out, we go out and party, we look for the next person. We try to heal through another woman. We try to heal through another relationship. We avoid these emotions because if we sit with them, it hurt too much, right? And then we're questioning our identities. It's like, I'm not really a man because I let this happen to me. Why didn't I do this? And so now you've been hiding this for a long time and here we are a year later and boom, it hits you. The woman is healed at that point, but you just starting to feel it because you just starting to address it. So it's like, opposite lines and they, and they all meet in the middle and she's like, I'm good. And then you trying to reach back out and just like, hey, what's going on? She'd be like, what? No, I'm good. So it carries over in so many different ways. We, we show up angry. We show up unavailable. Players or whatever it is, you know, the depression looks different in men. Sometimes it's, it's over being over-sexualized. It's being um, angry. Just just being protected from everything. And that protection is really not, it's a, it's a, it's a faux protection, right? Because we're not really addressing our issues. We're not really talking about what hurt us because there's a level of protection that we need to experience about protecting what our mind is telling us as opposed to um, experiencing the, and feeling the feelings. So we go through these, this unhealthy cycle where we rely on the substances. Again, we will rely on, on sex. We rely on trying to heal through another woman. Um, just all these different things that really dig us in a deeper hole as, a, as opposed to talking about what's going on. So if you come to therapy, therapy is a safe space to talk about that. And I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to be like your homeboy or I'm not going to be like somebody on social media that says, oh, you solve for talking about that. You solve for, for being human. Like these are human feelings. So why don't we feel like we can address some of the things that, that really hurt us or really bother us? Wow, that was powerful. I can say I can say firsthand that I I fall into that spectrum of like therapy growing up don't even talk about that which which you need that for you know you bring it up and it's kind of like exactly like you said like you're soft you're weak you know you're tripping you don't need all of that stuff and I want to say it was yeah it was uh last year I went for the first time and I went and it was probably one of the most freeing things that that I've ever done in my life it changed my whole perspective because I think a lot of times once we go through with something and we see like, Oh, like that wasn't so bad after all. It gives us, you know, this new lens to look through to where it's like, okay, I can, I can see myself doing that again, you know, or I can see myself telling my boys go to therapy. And I think that that an issue that, a lot of us as men, as, as black men struggle with is being able to have that emotional intelligence. I think that that's something, you know, like you said, we're, we're not really taught that. And so my question for you is in terms of emotional intelligence, in terms of being able to kind of deal with, with those demons from your past, you know, and those, those things that are kind of like your Achilles heel, how do you think that we can allow ourselves to deal with those things so that we mentally are in the right place to come into therapy to deal with them publicly. Right. So understand that the, the problems and the cycles that you're continuous to go through will remain there until we address them. Like it stays at our, it stays at your address until you address them. So if I say I want to do something differently, I need to operate differently. If I've never been to therapy, if I never talked about these things, so maybe I should try therapy to talk about these things. And you got to find somebody that you're comfortable with. So if you're thinking that, you know what, this is happening over and over again, I don't want to avoid it. I'm tired of feeling like this. I'm tired of drinking it, you know, trying to drink it away. I'm trying to, I'm tired of trying to sex it away. I'm, trying, I'm tired of trying to party it away. Let me go talk to somebody. And, I, and the person I talk to 
won't share my business. You know, that safe wall, that safe space is where you keep your stuff, right? It's not like you're telling in the world. It's not like you're telling the public. You're telling a person that's there to listen to you, that's there to help you, that's there to, to guide you. And sometimes it's not all about my feedback. It's all about you getting it out. So if something happened to you were really young and it pops up, you know, randomly, right? You're just chilling or this thing keeps popping up. It's like, ah, and then you respond, you know, you feel it in your body. You just respond with like a, you know, a shoulder shrug or, you know, you feel chilled or whatever it is. That stuff is real. Like those are traumatic events that you've experienced. They don't just go anywhere until you talk about it. So I'm just encouraging people. And I do that because I share a lot of my stuff. I share a lot. I'm very vulnerable online because I want people to understand that vulnerability is not a weakness. I want people to understand that the things that happened to me before, the bad decisions that I made, don't dictate who I am today. So now I'm not, I'm no longer fighting those demons that are hiding. Like they're out there. Like I see you, like that's it, but you didn't defeat me, but we're going to, you know, I'm going to move differently on purpose. And I'm going to have somebody to talk about it. And just, again, just bounce it off sometimes. Sometimes it's just a release of that thing that you've been holding on for a long time. I think that's a perfect transition. You know, talking a little bit more about your book. So, you know, as I mentioned before we got on, and if you haven't gotten the book, by the way, uh, Dear Future Wife is selling everywhere. And so we're going to put the, we're going to put the link to the book and um, all your info in the, in the show notes and everywhere else we promote it. But in the book, uh, you know, there's a section where you said, I, I, I've never been married, but I've been divorced, I think, like multiple times, right? Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that, because I think we need to hear that from the front of being just men and then being like even business owners. Right. Just being married to ideas for business, stuff like that. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I wrote that because, you know, when you commit, my idea of committing into a relationship is um, all all in. Right. It's so all in. And so I was operating, like I said before, like like what I thought a husband should. Like I'm moving in with people, like I'm taking care of bills. Uh, we're sharing all these different things that we, and we should just be friends. We should just begin to know each other. And so you're investing so much into these relationships and then all of a sudden the relationship fails. You're doing everything marriage looks like, but then it fails. So we never got the marriage, but we got, it felt like a divorce. There was financial things that happened that we had to split. There was, of course, the emotional and the psychological aspect of a breakup. And then there was um, this, just a transition, sharing family stuff, all those different things that we commit to. You know, we, we, we were doing cookouts together. We were staying at family's houses. And, you know, I had people live with me because they got into financial problems. And I was like, I'm going to take care of you because I had this idea in my head. That's what a man does. I'm a provider. I'm going to provide for you so you'll be all right. I understand you lost your job, but move in. I got you. So I understand that something happened in your life and you got hurt. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make sure you're all right. When I should, that responsibility should be with their family as opposed to me. Like we don't have that full commitment. We're not in a marriage, but we're operating like we are. So now all those things are happening and then a breakup happens. And so now I'm looked at as a failure for me because I commit to things and I don't like to fail. So I have this extra pressure on my head. I'm just like, oh. Another failed relationship. Wait a minute, I'm Mr. Dear Future Wife. Wait a minute, I'm, I'm helping all these relationships around me, but my relationships aren't successful. So they felt like it hit deep whenever a you know, breakup happens. Because again, people are looking to what I'm doing. People are looking to me for help. And I'm fixing families. Um, and then mine aren't well. So with so many different layers to it, when I say this, it felt like a divorce. I have to ask this question because we're about to go, we're about to go deep on this. So a big, 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 big topic, a big issue that I kind of see in, in, in most relationships nowadays is this notion that if you're with someone at a certain age and you've been with someone for a certain amount of time, you know, a couple years that you're working towards marriage and you kind of talked about the notion of how, you assumed like, cool, like I'm gonna take care of you. You know, like you're having financial issues. Like that's what a man does. Like I provide, I take care of you. I'm gonna make sure you're good. But then you realize like, that's not my responsibility. That's, that's your family's responsibility. I think a lot of us 
men struggle with that because in a way we kind of associate us taking care of them as like a symbol of our manhood, you know, and, and an opportunity to prove like, yeah, like I'm the man, you know? So I think there's probably a big amount of ego that goes into it. But my question for you is how do you, how do you navigate a relationship where you're interested in being with that person long-term? Like you're interested in being with that person in the future in the capacity of a, of a husband or wife, but in your mind, you're saying, okay, I have to prepare for that now. So I need to be doing the things that, that a husband would be doing, or I need to be doing the things that a wife should be doing before so that things are smoother, you know, once we make that transition. How do you balance being able to navigate a relationship without, I guess, overstepping in a sense? Because technically, that's not your husband. That's not your wife. But at the same time, you don't want to come off as insensitive or you don't care. Mm -hmm. So the biggest thing is we got to communicate more. And I think a lot of us men go into this courting stage when we should just be getting to know someone. So we already have this idea of, even if you say like, and I want to get married, so I'm treating everybody at, at, at day one as my wife. Like I'm doing all this extra stuff to prove to you, my ego, like you said, that I'm a husband. But we don't know each other. We use, we misuse I love you when we should be saying I like you a lot. Like I'm learning to like you. We jump into that because that's what we're supposed to be told. We're supposed to tell a woman that I love you. Because if we tell them I like you, they look at us a sideways and be like, what do you mean you like me? You don't love me yet? No, not yet. Because I'm trying to understand you. I'm trying to understand if I can get, if I can be there for you, if I can trust you with my stuff. Because there's so many things that come out in marriages and people have conversations way too late. They're in a marriage and talking about something that they should have had on their first date, that they should have had, you know, when they were courting, when they were just, you know, doing whatever, they should have had these conversations. So if I'm saying this is my goal, you know, I'm looking for a wife, right? So that's that's the thing. So that's what I want to do. But you have to give yourself an opportunity to build a relationship with someone. You have to be able to hang out with them and really understand them. And we also have to have this, um, this the, I guess, the confidence to say no to certain things. We lack that sometimes. And I think sometimes we, and I, I, I'll, I'll say this, just to, to transition something that came to me that I wrote the other day, and I said, a lot of men don't inten intentionally hurt women, but we don't know how to not hurt women. So that's why you see so many men who get in relationships and don't know how to say, I no longer want to be in this relationship. So as opposed to telling her that because we don't want to hurt her, we operate as if we're not in the relationship. We do things to help the woman make the choice to end the relationship. Or if we're not getting something in a relationship as opposed to talking about it, we look for it outside of the relationship. Because that one thing that's missing in the relationship, but we think she's a good catch. She has all these other things, but she's missing some, that one thing. So we get it outside the relationship and that destroys the relationship. Because again, we are not taught how to communicate. We don't, we're not confident enough to say that, hey, this might ruffle some feathers, but there's a difference between discomfort and pain. So let's talk about it. Because if I'm not happy, but let's talk about how we can get happy. Because I do want to be in this relationship, but I want to get some work. And I also want to trust somebody that, that can help us get it. That's why you have the, the counselors. You have the therapist. I need to know the words I need to say because I don't want to hurt you. So I'm trying to do this so you can get it. So you can understand. I want to understand you. I want you to understand me. So if you're in this place of saying I'm dating and being honest, being honest and allow a woman to make a decision because I make some of the decisions because if I ask you a question and say like I'm dating multiple people and I want you to know, then you have the opportunity to make a decision. If you tell me you're okay with it, you have to be accountable to your word just like I have to be accountable to mine. So if you tell me you're okay with me dating multiple people and then you get upset, I'm going to hold you accountable to what you said. Now, if we transition to saying we're dating exclusively, then we both owe each other that accountability. So being honest and open and upfront and saying, this is what it is. This is what I need. This is what I want. And I want us to build this relationship. What does the timeline look like? Let's discuss the timeline. And if you don't have that timeline, if you're not in agreement, be honest with that. I want to get to know you. I'm not out here playing games. I really like you. And so I want to build this. So how can we do this together? 
because you have you, you have her, and you have the relationship. And y'all ain't always gonna get along. It's not gonna always be peachy. Like people think that, like even in, even in the honeymoon phase, there's there's difficulty, you know. But we ignore things. We be like, all right, I ain't gonna bring that up because that, you know, that 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 ain't nothing. I could just deal with that. No, have a conversation about that because that that one time turns into twenty times. It then turns into you being resentful and then operating outside that relationship and it becomes unhealthy. You become unhealthy, actually, because you're holding it in. I'm glad I'm muted because I'm over here, like, verbally just expressing myself. <laughs> fact after fact after fact. <laughs> and as I'm writing some of the things you're saying, I think what just, what just hit me, right? And I think this can even translate into like business owners, especially when it comes to like partnerships. Um, is that many of us just tend not to communicate upfront because of like the fear we put in our head, how somebody might retaliate, right? So how do we then start to communicate effectively and in a healthy way? All right, not just being a-holes about it, but in a healthy and effective way so that we don't put ourselves in positions as men, as business owners, um, whoever's listening to this, whatever position they're in. We don't put ourselves in a position to just essentially be like, you know, I set myself up from failure for day one just because I didn't do this one thing. Again, you got to talk. Like, you got to be very honest and, and very upfront because if your goal is to be a successful business person and you're going into a business or partnership with someone, you got to have your voice. Like we can't hold stuff in because we're gonna make bad choices. The business is gonna suffer. Uh, we're just gonna feel uh, neglected and that neglect, man, that, that doesn't sit well with us for a long time. So if I'm starting to have a relationship of business and I'm gonna be more communicative. So I'm gonna talk early. I'm gonna talk outside of emotion. When you're in a relationship with someone, when you guys are upset and heated, nobody's really listening to each other. All everybody's trying to get their point across. So if you talk about it outside of that emotional state, it's more effective to, to have a conversation. Communicate often. All right, let's just do a check-in. A check-in not because there's an issue, but let's just do a check-in to see where everything is going. And those are, if you put that in your business plan or what your business partnership and say, this is what I need and this is what we should do, and say, hey, you know, as opposed to saying to your partner or, or your, your significant other saying, you never do this, you're always doing this, you got to speak, because that's speaking with a deficit. If you speak with saying that, hey, I need this, this I, I believe the business needs this, and this helps us grow. This helps our relationship, as opposed to saying, you're always doing this, you're never doing this, because immediately that person is going to get defensive, and now I'm fighting the defense as opposed to the real issue. I want to know, and then after this, we'll, we'll, we'll transition, but I have to ask you, because you mentioned earlier about that transition from I like you to I love you and how that has to come from you being able to get to know the person first to really see like, can you handle me? Can you deal with my baggage? You know? So what is your opinion on people that say things like when you're ready to marry someone or when you think you found quote unquote, the one, that you just know? Is that an actual thing that you just know? Or is that something that you think is a trial and error process throughout, maybe not just multiple relationships, but that particular relationship with the person who's deemed as the one? I think it's, it's, a, little, it's a combination of all things. So if you're saying like you found the one and you got to put the effort towards it, right? If you have your experiences, you'll find the one when you know yourself, when you know who you are, then you're able to see the one as opposed to seeing a person that's that's satisfying a specific need, like dating from a deficit. So I'm going to date somebody differently. Like the last person I dated, maybe they didn't have money. So now I'm going specifically out of the thing that was missing in that relationship. Now I'm dating someone who has money, but there's other flaws inside that relationship. There's other things that I'm seeking outside of myself when I should be seeking within myself. So the, I, and you talked about the transition between I like you and I love you. And I was laughing because, you know, you can like someone a lot and then you can not like someone a lot. So what love does, it handles both. So if you love someone, 
You can love them through, through disliking them because that's what a relationship is. Because not everybody gets along all the time. So if you really love them, it's action. Love is in action. So when I'm saying I love you, even when you get on my nerves, even when I don't want to talk to you, like, but I still love you, but I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you go tonight. I ain't, I ain't, I ain't rocking with you tonight. I can't talk to you. I need to process some things. I need some time alone. I need to do, but when I'm in that time alone, I'm looking for things to help me love you more. I'm looking for the things that help me like you. I'm looking to express myself and say the things that I don't like that I really want us to work on. And I really understand that it's never gonna be perfect, but I can still love you even though it's not perfect. But even loving someone, you can say, I love you, but this relationship isn't working because I'm constantly being destroyed. I'm constantly out of my character. I'm constantly making bad choices out of my response. So I know I'm not ready to be in a relationship with you because there's a lot of triggers there and I don't know how to handle them unless I get some professional help or unless I just know like this relationship isn't working. And we got to be honest because love can tell someone it's over. But a lot of times we stay in relationships and we think we're in love and we stay in abusive relationships. We stay in relationships that don't feed the things that we need for us to grow. We stay in relationships and we, we call it love and we're not, again, growing, we're not connecting, but we're just staying in a relationship that we really don't enjoy being in. And we call it love. But if I love you enough and I know I'm not helping you, I'm not helping this relationship, then my love should be say, my love should be able to say, we need to end this. And then after the relationship, a lot of people, like I've had some, some people I've dated in the past, right? They tell me they love me in a relationship. The relationship doesn't end. I end the relationship and they do some horrible things after the relationship. So I never believed that you, you never loved me because there's no way that you can tell me you love me and you're doing these things outside of it. You're doing these things when a relationship ends. So, and there's a lot of women who can't handle the rejection and that's why a lot of us men stay in relationships because, again, we don't want to hurt them. We know how they respond, but we don't pay attention to those warning signs within the relationship, before the relationship, and we don't speak on them because we're, we're, we're toughing it out, right? Oh, that's just how women are. And we accept it. But we need to, again, communicate. No, I just feel like I need to go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> it's therapy right now. It's right. therapy right now. Thank you for joining us on the therapy hour. No, that's real. And... Just the fact you just said love can sometimes be telling someone it's over, right? Instead of staying in it and keep continuing to call it love, you know, I think that even muddles then our idea of what love is. And then we start looking for like, what's the most safe version of it that didn't hurt me that I, that, that I had once before? There's a lot to unpack there and we ain't got the time to do it. You know, they need to come see you or see somebody and break that one down, me included. Uh, let's transition a little bit, you know, um, into some of the other stuff you do. Because, you know, you didn't just do the book. Let's talk about the What's Good Bro. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. So it was, uh, I had this idea, um, actually, shout out to um, women. I saw this. They're, they're always doing amazing things, right? So I saw they were doing an online panel. Um, and I was just like, you know what? We need one. And I've been saying it for a while. We need one. But we need it to be from, like, clinicians, black male clinicians, who are down to earth. So I had some, some, some buddies that we always talk. We talk like almost daily, like one of my, my good, good friends. We do prayer in the morning. We send jokes, send memes, all whatever it is. We talk about our issues, all that good stuff. And so I reached out to two other ones that I became developed relationships with too. I was like, yo, we need to create something to bring more men um, into therapy, but also to see what it's like to have a conversation, a healthy conversation. Also to show that although we're clinicians, we're humans, we're black men first. And this was before the George Floyd stuff. So we had this plan for a while, and then that happened. Like as we were planning, it was like, this is, this is like, we need to talk. And we need to see more black men having these honest and open dialogues in front of people and saying it's, it's okay. So we need to connect. And, and again, just show what we go through as, as black men, show we go through as entrepreneurs, show we go through as black male therapists, some of the stuff we, we deal with that we've never dealt with and just have a voice. So that was what's good, bro. We're gonna make it a series. We're gonna have more people on. And again, shout out to the women who supported because I think it comes, um, it comes easier when, it, when women are promoting us. 
you know, sometimes our, our men and our egos is like, I don't, I don't need to listen to him. You know, I got my own things going on. He can't tell me nothing. The women showed out in, in, in droves to say, yo, my husband needs to be here. My boyfriend, my best friend, my homie, they need to be here for, for this. And then it, it just became a, 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 a huge thing. I think we had over 3,000 registrants and we had um, maybe like 20,000 views on it. And people are screaming for more. And we're like, we're trying to work on it now. <laughs> because we just want to make it a thing, man. We just we just need that space for us. It, it's online right now? Like it, it okay. Yeah, yeah it's online. Okay. Do you see or do you guys envision being able to transition it into an in-person event? Absolutely. That that's the plan. That was the um original plan. It was like we were gonna do it online and then you know, like we'll be near you, coming to a city near you. Like I had this joke, it was like the clinical quartet. Like we're gonna be we're gonna be doing our thing, just just coming and just talking to people in person, doing workshops, it's just having people experience what therapy looks like as a black man, as a as a black American in 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 the US with experiencing um the, the traumas and all that type of stuff. You know, I even go internationally and talk about the importance of therapy. You know, I go to Africa and I talk about it. So it's 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 so it's so vital for us to just have these conversations and then I not ignore them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. First off, tip my hat to you because that's that's impressive. That's powerful. And that's what the culture needs. You know, we need that big time. And I think I think by being able to have an event like that, that's that's so empowering. Once you guys transition from it being online to it being in person, I think that's the type of event that, you know, we'll start to see some of those cycles that we talked about during the podcast start to break, you know, and, and, and those gears to start turning in our heads that maybe I have some things I need to deal with. Maybe, maybe I have some baggage that I haven't, I haven't taken care of yet. So I think that's, that's amazing. My question is for anyone who missed the last event, because it was a couple of weeks ago that, that you guys had the event, like, is there a replay? Is there any way they can they can listen to the event that just passed? Yeah, it's on it's on YouTube. It's on um, it's on my page on on social media on Facebook. It's on Rayshawn Miller's website, um, which is youstressing.org. It's on all of our business pages. So if you just Google like what's bro, you go to my page, you'll see it on there on Bashe Williams on on Facebook my business page is, is, is listed on there as well. Okay, perfect. Is there any, right now, any date for, for the next event or is that just in the works right now for you guys? We're looking towards the end of July. Okay. For something to do it. So we want to do it like quarterly, but we want to drop something at the end of July that's going to be beneficial to not just our community. It's for people to try to understand us, people who are, are treating us as far as like uh, white clinicians or other clinicians of non-color so they can get some training on how to effectively speak to us and treat us in the therapeutic space. But also it's going to be for the person who really just dealing with so many different things. We're going to give some tips and tools some solid tips and tools to take home and to, to encourage them to get into the therapeutic space. So before we let you go, I want to ask you, what has been the most empowering thing or the most incredible thing for you being an entrepreneur? Wow. The freedom in also building trust in God and not being dependent on the things that, that I thought I needed or, or people, you know, just really sitting back and trusting God and going to prayer and, and seeing so many amazing things come up when I, after I pray, um, so many answers being given. You know, so many things financially just been showing up after I feel like it's a problem. And I take it to God and the next day is boom, it's there. Like magically this money is in my account or magically I get this, this client who wants to do this. And that, that takes care of anything I was just stressing about the day before. But it's, it's, it's so important for me and so powerful for me just to have the freedom and the control over my daily life. So now I get to spend some time with my son. I can show him what an entrepreneur is. And I can show them, you know, what hard work looks like and the results of hard work and being in control and making the decision that, you know what, let's go somewhere. Let's fly out. The things that I didn't have growing up to make sure he does. 
So it's just so many different things of just about being an entrepreneur and just being that example for my community. And it was like, yeah, you can do it because I was stuck. I was in a was stuck. I would just make a decision to stay in my previous job working for um, a bureaucracy, working for a county. And I just felt myself just like, I felt like internally I was dying, literally. Because I was in, I was capped on what I can do, my effect. I couldn't be as effective with my clients. I couldn't, you know, be personal with them. There were so many different things that I needed to do. And taking that leap of faith, the day that I left, I felt so free. I felt so free. And I can still, you know, as much as energy that I was giving to them, 40, 50 hours a week, and then, you know, still being confined to my effectiveness. And now I can do that with my own practice. Yeah, it's just there's so many things. I'm, I'm out there going on a tangent. But yeah, just, y'all, that's, that's pretty much it, man. That's it. If you had to pick a spot in your journey that perhaps been one of the most impactful or even the most impactful moment as you've gone through through all of this, what, what would it be? And how has it changed the game for you? Well, I think for me, 2018, not too long ago, 2018, I was, again, I was leaving the job. I was also ending a relationship. I was uncertain about, you know, my practice and everything, because again, I'm leaving that security, that vacation and all that type of stuff. And they took like, I think it was like me, almost like 200 hours that I was supposed to be able to cash out. They took that. So I ended uh, relationships with siblings because of what they were doing. And I was, and I was really struggling with anxiety, but all those things, because I was trusting my flesh, I was trusting, you know, I thought I could handle all those things. And then when I didn't have control, I just sat, you know, I just prayed. And those, that was the, the most pain I've ever felt, but it was the most free I've ever felt coming out of that. Yeah. Paul, thank you so much. I can't wait to go back and, and, and re-listen to this episode because this was something that, I mean, hell, I felt like I was in therapy. I don't know about you, but I felt like I was in the therapy session. So greatly appreciated. You know, I think that, that our listeners are going to get some really good gems out of this episode. So I just, you know, from both me and Paul and the entire OTC team, thank you for making some time to, to come and talk to us. This was amazing. And before we let you go, for anyone who this may be their first time being exposed to you, what what social media handles or, or what contact information would you like to leave with them for them to reach out to you? They can reach me everywhere at BashaWilliams.com. You can go on Instagram at BashaWilliams. You can go to my website, which is BashaWilliams.com. Um, you can go to Facebook as BashaWilliams. Twitter is BashaWilliams. Uh, if you want to get some therapy, I'm actually full right now, but I can make a referral. You can go to heartsandmindcounseling.com. That's, that's where you'll find me. You can get my book off Amazon. You can get my book off. If you want to sign, you get off my website. You go to my story and be, you'll see some t-shirts in there and you'll see my book and I'll sign it. But pretty much everywhere. YouTube is Bashe Williams. You just, if you just Google Bashe Williams, a whole bunch of different links will pop up. Perfect. Well, once again, Thank you. We appreciate you for coming on. To our listeners, guys, we love y'all. We appreciate you. You could have been anywhere else, but you chose to be here listening to us. If you got as much value as I know you should have got out of this episode, subscribe, share, leave us a rating. Please, we appreciate it. We love when y'all engage with us. We appreciate all the texts and, and messages that we get about the podcast. But with that being said, we will catch you guys next time. Until then, Peace and many blessings. Thank you for listening to another episode of Off the Clock. This episode was brought to you by The Accepted System. The Accepted System is a program that helps pre-physical therapy students get into physical therapy school without wasting time or money. This episode was also brought to you by PhysioMemes. PhysioMemes helps PT businesses to increase their referrals through word-of-mouth marketing by growing their brand with an online store. PhysioMemes. 
This episode was also brought to you by the Acceptance Navigator series. Most pre-PT students go on to spend hundreds of dollars applying to multiple DPT programs, with the majority of them having less than 40% confidence that they will actually get accepted that cycle. You have been taught that regardless of all the work you put into applying, you really don't have much control over your acceptance into PT school. The truth is, you actually do. Let the Acceptance Navigator series show you how. You can find them at www.acceptancenavigator.com. When you go on there, make sure to let them know that Paul and Carl sent you over to jumpstart your acceptance into physical therapy school. Thank you for listening and keep tuning in.